0: Welcome to the Spaceship Earth Mission Log. I'm here with Stephen Bao of the Design Science Synarchy Mission. And I'm delighted to have you here because, Stephen, you're the one who bridged me in, who introduced me to the world of the Buckminster Fuller Institute, the Space Camp, and the Design Science Studio, which we're here to talk about today. And you are a phenomenal artist in your own right, and uh, we've been doing a creative circle together around the artist's way, and uh, just had so many fertile conversations, so many fruitful um, explorations. You've been on my podcast, "The Language of Creativity," and uh, you're like to me this amazing synthesizer of so many diverse sources of information, and you you write them all down in such the most. Um, you assemble them together in a way that is so flowing and, uh, clear. I just, I'm gushing now, so I'm going to stop. I'm really honored to have you on the Spaceship Earth Mission Log podcast. Welcome, Stephen.
1: Well, it's a pleasure being here. Um, thank you so much, Stephen, for, uh, that really effusive, uh, introduction. Um, yeah, I've, been um privileged to to actually get to know you and um it's just funny how we we met through the liturgists (laughs) and (laughs) and uh it's it's that our um religious backgrounds or um upbringings is is the commonality that brings us together and and that's kind of what I bring to the design science studio to a lot of what I'm doing in my writing is trying to think how, how do the physics or the geometry that Buckminster Fuller often talks about connect to the metaphysics. And I feel like that's what Bucky does is he yeah. is talking about geometry and poetic language. And it's a way of bridging the gaps between, well, actually, geometry is just another way of talking about the whole of the universe in a way that actually makes sense of everything. And um and when he's talking about love as metaphysical gravity, to me it's just like, well, that's really interesting. That's something I can play with. That wordplay of He's combining things that usually aren't put together. And so putting metaphysical gravity together as a way to kind of like, let's forget about the the baggage that this word love has. Why don't we talk about it in terms of the things that we can feel and then relate it to that other inner sense of knowing there must be something more and and I think that's what Bucky's pointing to is yeah, there's there's no difference between the physical and the metaphysical. One is just a metaphor for the other.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, it's interesting, uh, for those who don't know, the liturgist was a podcast that bridged uh for a lot of people who were religious and who were no longer finding themselves agreeing with what they grew up with and questioning and having a, an expansion and sort of a, a losing of um, a deconstruction of their ideals, and then a reconstruction process of those ideals. Uh, I love that you mentioned love. I love that you mentioned poetry and metaphysics. And, you know, love is one of those words that has terrible baggage. And, uh, you know, it, it really mis- it's misrepresented in our modern idea of love. Our society is kind of gotten confused, I think, about that. But in the same vein, um, art has always been a haven for expressing the nuanced and the hard to understand and putting it into language and poetry that can encapsulate the the essence of a thing the the metaphysics of a thing the the you know ineffable qualities but that we all feel we all know we've all felt love <laughs> we've all felt the absence of love and uh, i think that's where you know in the past maybe spirituality has been the domain where religion or spirituality where where those ideals can be explored the higher ideals of of, uh, of uh, religion or, or spirituality or why are we here? And I think we find us, ourselves in this profound moment in history where we're sort of realizing that things are moving so fast. Um, science has caused so much um, change and um, progression that it's hard to keep up with. And so it's very important to keep up with the human soul And the inner workings of being human and what does it mean to be human? And I feel like art has always asked those questions and also framed them in response to these changes and evolutions in society that are rapidly happening and, 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 you know, often due to technology. And so you are featuring a project uh, revolving around the Design Science Studio also an interesting interplay of words design science and uh i think now more than ever those two things can uh go together and the idea of art and science going together in a, in a time where you know we're now we see things converging that used to be considered separate or or in in unmeetable um and of course you know the design science studio is uh is has a goal to revive Buckminster Fuller's idea of the design science decade. So that was being a big part of the work that was going on. And uh, you were part of the first and second cohorts uh, or cohorts, of the design science studio. And then an interesting thing happened, and uh, I want to ask you about that. Uh, but first, tell us about your project, the design science synarchy, a little bit and give us a framework for uh, why you chose that as a mission.
1: Right. Um, so, because we were already um, in formation as a as a design science synergy um, at the time of um, the Trimtab space Camp, it felt like it, it might be a good time to actually bring this group forward as a way of thinking about, can we have a meta-project that um, gathers together all of these specialist projects? Because it's it was really coming at the idea that Buckminster Fuller really talks about a lot is um, this idea of education creating these silos of um, disciplines that don't talk to each other and for Buckminster yeah. Fuller, the whole idea of education being separated like that just felt um, completely wrong uh, when what's necessary is a multidisciplinary um, gathering of all of these different disciplines together to actually address the challenges that we're facing. Because how else are we going to do it? it we, we actually need to be generalists. And um, as children, human beings... Are naturally generalists, and it's going through the education process yeah. in our industrial um, society that actually seems to take the creativity out of people, and exactly stamp them into clones of of the kinds of um, factory workers that are that were necessary within the previous century at the time when we're w- nations were starting to build up their manufacturing capabilities and they just needed like laborers who could actually keep the factories running. Um, mm-hmm. but we're, we're living in a time where that is, is not what we need and we actually re- need to retool everything for the kinds of work that we're doing and, uh, the, the um, higher education um, institutions really aren't serving that need. Um, so the idea of a mm. synergy then would be to to gather the the collective intelligence of all of these different specialists into the generalist um, kind of perspectives that we we need to have to be able to to actually address t- um challenges like hunger and poverty and homelessness and um even the the whole idea of of creating ways of of learning in a in a self-organizing collaborative way rather than um kind of this this piecemeal uh working on only the specific things and then figuring out how they go together later Um, Buckminster Fuller was always starting with the whole, with the universe, and then trying to find what kind of principles and patterns can be derived from the amazing um, technology that nature already is. Uh, So we kind of do it Mm. backwards by going, okay, well, let's kill this thing, take it apart, and then figure out if we can put it back together again, oh no, it's dead. (laughs) So we, we kill Mm -hmm. the thing before we even have a chance to even understand what is nature? What, what is it actually doing? And it seems like that's what we're doing right now is just realizing too late. Oh no, we, we built, you know, 500 years of, of, building this machine that actually takes things apart and looks at the pieces to try to figure out how they work is actually the problem and creating um, a cascading effect of entropy rather than actually integrating with the symbiotic syntropic processes of life that actually brought us here. Um, So I think um, creating a design science synergy is kind of looking back at what Buckminster Fuller was trying to do, he was actually, the whole thing was a design science decade, um, integrating a comprehensive anticipatory design science process as a way of addressing all of these challenges and needs. Um, And so his vision was, okay, we can do this in 10 years. This is actually possible, but there needs to be a a really rigorous process to do this. Um, So when I think Mm -hmm. of comprehensive anticipatory design science, um, for me, comprehensive is the universal principles of life. Um, Anticipatory means that we have a sense of our current context and where we come from and where we're going. So the anticipatory is looking into the future at the particular problem of maybe a particular bioregion, and then going, you know, all the, the solutions that we have available may need to shift according to the the specific um problems that are are um, really at the at the core of, of what's going on within this particular bioregion, because there's a lot of different relationships going on here than there would be somewhere else. And then there's mm-hmm the design aspect is is really human beings taking tools and technologies and then applying them to um, a particular need. Um, And then, um, but that, it's more on the um, process side of things. Uh, Design being a process where we can take a look at the scientific method but then apply it to, well, what are, what are the objectives? What are the goals? What are the human needs that we're trying to address? And a lot of that comes down to um, understanding what are the values that we're embedding into our our technologies through design, because design is it's kind of like a metaphysical process. It's in,
0: mm.
1: um, in what I've come from as a as a designer of communications, websites, and now what we call user experiences with apps and websites is is actually trying to think about, well, what is the, the experience that we're designing for? And if we think of uh, Jesse James Garrett talking about, the the four different aspects of experience it's perception cognition emotion and action so we're we're covering the senses mm. the mind the heart and the body the holistic view of of what it means to design for the human experience but then now we're thinking how do we go beyond that to um think beyond the anthropocentric and then really bring in all of the living beings that make life possible on this, this earth because of the interdependence and interconnection Mm -hmm. of all of those relationships. And then we have the science. It's the, you know, you, you have a hypothesis, you create an experiment, you, you, um, create the prototype and then you test it. And then you, you continually iterate Mm -hmm. on something that you can measure and quantify. Um, but for me, the design part of, things is the, this is the um, qualitative part of the process where you actually have to bring in well, what is experience? How do you measure that? Right. Um, a lot of that to me is is pointing to something that is beyond the quanta or the quantum that we usually focus mm-hmm. on as physicists or scientists. It's all about what can we measure? what can we um create a repeatable experiment with? but experience is yeah. not repeatable. <laughs> it happens once you're <laughs> you're in this present and it's gone and um, and this is really hard to kind of disentangle from this scientific method. Um, it feels like we need something else that integrates that and and a lot of that, I think, is what Bucky yeah. points to. Is yeah, there's science, but there's also these generalized universal principles that actually point to something beyond um, a kind of set of values, um, metaphysics that that the the physical is is able to help us create an interface for but there's something beyond that interface that actually gives life meaning and order and um life <laughs> it's it's coming from somewhere but that's the thing that we're like well how is that working <laughs> we have no idea <laughs> where that's coming from
0: <laughs> yeah yeah it's like uh you, you can observe the frog in its natural habitat, or you could take it apart to see what's inside, but you really need to know both things right. and right and, and taking apart the frog, you kill the frog, <laughs> and taking the frog out of its natural habitat you you're not observing the frog in its natural environment you if you take it and put it in a frog case, a little terrarium mm-hmm. it's not going to be the same frog uh, <laughs> so. Right. Um, What I wanted to do was explain to people that the Design Science Studio um, from Mm -hmm. DesignScience.Studio, a revolutionary incubator for art inspiring a regenerative future that works for 100% of life. So this is the statement that uh, talks about the Design Science Studio. And they just had a graduating cohort of 144 evolutionaries uh, for the 2022 cohort. So I'd like you to walk me through what happened after the end of the 2022 cohort. Cause I think that's where this story begins with this mission. And also who did, you know, what happened? And then you obviously can share who who you were collaborating
1: with at that point as well. Right. So I was brought into the core team of the design science studio at the end of the the second cohort. And um, so that meant that um, I was doing some of the thinking around how do we think about our collaborative principles? And um, we would do little design sprints on weekends um, just to get prepared for what we were going to do at the end of the second cohort, which was put on this big event online to invite people to, to see what we had all been working on over the the past year. And so uh, Roxy Shohade um, is um, one of the founders and of the design science studio. So she was, realizing once we got to the end of that final event, we just needed some rest. And, um, but then the next push was okay. Um, to be able to get into the third year or the third season, third cycle of the design science studio, we're going to need some sort of funding model that is going to carry this forward. And we were looking into partnerships, um, Something about that needed to wait until the summer to really get going. Uh, So there was this little window of opportunity that Roxy wanted to take. Okay, I'm going to fly to Europe. Um, There seems to be this opportunity that I'm going to look into in Switzerland. And she, she asked me, can you help me with some copywriting? So we were busy working on on some ideas just before she got on the plane to Switzerland. And um, part of what came out of that was this vision of what would we do if, you know, one of the questions was where would you start first from your personal perspective, if there were financial possibilities on the part of cultural funding. And so I just made Mm -hmm. a list of, okay, if... I was answering this question, what would I say for for this vision that I have for what the design science studio could be? And uh, so, I mean, I could go through this, but um, what essentially happened was um, we just realized, oh, That funding opportunity is, it was the Migros Fund um, out of Switzerland, and uh, we realized too late, you know, okay, great, we can be there, but we know we're not actually even in the running for, for that kind of funding because... Um, the organization isn't based in Switzerland, <laughs> so mm. okay. Well, at least we've got some copywriting done, and we have some some ideas in the can for how we would pitch this to someone else. Um. So Roxy ended up traveling to Spain, and that's where, unfortunately, um, she and Nico Alcalas. And, um, um, his girlfriend, Amanda Joy, were in a terrible car accident. Um, so it was, a a head-on collision. The occupant of the other vehicle, um, passed away. And the th- three of them in the other vehicle were rushed to hospital. And it was, uh. Um, one was in a, a coma, um, and then Amanda Joy was in a coma. And, um, when the other two, um, were, were conscious, there was a, a recognition like, oh, no, um, w- what are we going to do? Because this, the... The whole plan for the design science studio um, was dependent on Roxy and Nico leading over this these past two years. And we hadn't gotten to a point where yeah. um, we had figured out a kind of regenerative, um, self-organizing structure for the whole... Um, whole team and, and the way we're going to move forward. So it was so, very
0: dependent on the key people. Exactly. Yeah. The founders. Yeah. Which is a common problem. Um, oh, that's, that's very terrible. I've heard the, they've heard the story about the accident before. That's very, it's a very terrible um, thing that happened. Um, I, I'm sure a few people are going to want to know Amanda Joy is not Amanda Joy Ravenhill, right? Uh, exactly.
1: Um, Amanda Joy guilt Different, different. Amanda exactly. Joy. Yeah. Okay,
0: okay. Yeah, but but still, absolutely terrible. And um, so, what what happened after? Obviously, things had to pause.
1: Right after that. So, the the strange thing that happened was um, the Sunday of after the accident. I didn't know anything about this event. Um, I had gone for a run and then, uh, injured my ankle. And, Mm. uh, I was just sitting there in the forest, looking down at a Creek wondering, okay, what do I do now? I just got to take a rest here, rest my ankle, and then try to figure out how do I get back home? Just limping. Mm. Um, Uh. and a hummingbird just flew towards me. Um, from from the valley below, and then just hovered in front of me for a moment, and then realized, oh, I just had a, a big uh, a, a burgundy sweatshirt or a t-shirt on, and it must have been attracted <laughs> by the color or something. But it Thought was. you were a flower. <laughs> it was a moment where I was just thinking, for some reason, about um, Psalm twenty three. <laughs> and and mm. um, it it, which, it wasn't significant to me the, until that... coming back to it later. Um, I got a call from Mark Smith, um, that evening saying, "Uh, there's been a terrible accident, and and Roxy and Nico and Amanda Joy have been, um, they're they're in hospital in Ibiza, Spain, mm. and." Um, so at that point I'm, I'm thinking back to that moment and going, oh, this is the valley of the shadow death. Uh, mm. um, so it just felt like a very significant moment that at the same time that I've injured myself and I, and I realized later I'm, um, I'm going to have to go through my own, uh, healing process, Um, they're going through a major healing process um, and Mm -hmm. something about that was just really resonant um, and also very urgent about what do we do now Um, Veronica Anderson and myself being in the core team we thought okay we need to to do something um to to bring the community together, to let them know what has just happened. And then to at least um, kind of hold something together. And that's, that's really where the design science synergy came from was um, Veronica Anderson, Mark Smith, and myself came together with um, Claire Hedin. And um, on the Wednesday of that week, we, we brought the community together. And we were just actually surprised that Roxy and Nico were were conscious and were, were able to, mm. to be there at the event. Um, and it was a really touching moment just to to come together as a community in support of their healing. Um, but mm-hmm. out of that then came wow. this. Um, realization that, well, we don't want to, <laughs> we're, we're, in a, this tough situation where we could forge ahead and, and just do things on our own, but, um, we wanted to be, um, very, um, uh, kind of sensitive to the situation, trauma informed and not, um, usurping the hierarchy that was there in place, Nico and Roxy founding and leading this, um, the design science studio. So the three of us, Mark, Veronica, and myself just decided, okay, we're going to continue to meet together and figure out what to do. (laughs) But it Mm -hmm. it ended up just being kind of like a a support group for the three of us. And then Uh trying to feed information to the rest of the community Um, but making sure that, that Roxy and Nico and Amanda, Joy knew that there was a, a groundswell of support behind them. And we were able to raise some funding for them. Um, yeah. So I I guess coming now (laughs) to this, the, the moment when the, the trim tab space camp came around, there were some really amazing moments that we had just having these discussions together. And it, as we started realizing that um, things were turning around in the recovery process and we could breathe a sigh of relief, then there was times where, when we were thinking forward to, okay, well, what kind of, Um, experience do we want to invite people into can it be about play and creativity and Mm. um, really co-creating the kind of ways we want to be together and um, so I have a lot of these um, um, sessions that we had done together recorded and I've I've kept those private just hmm. cuz they were there's a there's a lot of things that just we couldn't release to the public cuz it, it was very personal yeah. to what was going on within each of us um but there were some things that we really wanted to bring forward to the group and and a lot of that was just the founding principles of the design science synergy. It's really coming out of mm. um, Richard Rudd in the gene keys. And I can read this out from, um, from the book um, synergy, the universal principle through which collective intelligence naturally aligns itself in perfect harmony with all that is synergy is the underlying nature of humanity that can only be known once it has emerged from the shadow frequencies as the new collective consciousness dawns all across our planet, humanity will self-organize its creative genius and manifest the true higher purpose hidden in its DNA to bring about the new Eden. Mm. Whereas the shadow consciousness manifests on the material plane through the principle of hierarchy and the gift consciousness through the principle of heterarchy, the Cidic consciousness manifests mm. through the principle of synergy. So Cidic being S-I-D-D-H-I-C. Um, mm. Cities are the Can transcendent um, manifestation of these, these universal principles. Uh,
0: yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Wow. That's quite a quote. And I think very uh, salient to... This moment we find ourselves in collectively of like, you know, it's Buckminster's quote, is it going to be utopia or oblivion? And there's not really any in between. And uh, so how do we organize together as humanity? And that is one of the challenges that I think you had mentioned that you even faced within the design science studio cohort, um, just the various Dynamics that arise and challenges with having a group of 144 people, especially 144 artists. And how do you move everybody together in a vision? How do you have all these separate projects and and then present something unified that is of transformative value that that could be something that a philanthropist or somebody would be willing to invest in to say this is helping move the needle on culture, on awareness, on people's um perceptions of the world we live in and how we can impact it in a positive way, how we can work together, how we can do these design science changes in the world and, and through art where it moves the heart, as you're as you're saying, cohort. Um, so so tell me a little bit about that, because that that is, you know, I think the operative question. How do we synarchically collaborate together in and and what is that what does that look like or what did that process look like for you in that in those meetings.
1: Yeah, a lot of it was, um, a very personal process. Um, I'm, I might also mention that, um, Veronica Anderson also offers an installment coaching process. And, um, I've been engaged in that process personally with her, um, since February of last year. So, Um, part of that was really addressing the the changes that need to take place within the heart, within the inner Hmm. architecture of each individual human being um, that then Hmm. gets built out into the outer world as architecture. So her focus not only being on trauma and healing, it's also on understanding how there's a collective trauma that we're dealing with. Yeah. And and the way that we address that collective trauma is to to understand that healing process as a way of really looking at where's the source of this trauma coming from. And it's doing the inner work necessary on the inner architecture that has a way of, of actually creating um, what grows out of that. So it feels like yeah. in the society that we're in, we do that in reverse. We create the architectures right. of our societies, and then we push people through them almost like we're extruding them out of a mold <laughs> and, <laughs> and what it does is because these societies have not dealt with their collective trauma, they're just creating more individuals who are being processed within this, this structure of trauma and perpetuating yeah. it.
0: And reinforced. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um
1: So, the reason I actually connected with what Veronica was doing was because um, her focus was on, on this process of, of understanding that there's an inner architecture that out of which everything else grows. Um, and when we create our architecture, what we're really doing is enforcing through solid objects and tools and and systemic processes as well um, the way that society works and it is its own kind of self-generating um, automating machine in a way of of creating yeah. more of the same um, yeah if if we do that without, you know, we think we're just creating products, but we're actually creating ourselves mm. in this process yeah. of of creating yeah. architecture. So if we do it in in a really uh, mindful way of starting with the inside and then growing outward in the same way that nature does... It, I think that's what Bucky was pointing to was there's something behind all these artifacts. There are universal principles that nature is growing out of and out of these principles. Yeah. We can actually glean from the architecture of nature. What's actually happening. There's a symbiosis and a, and um a synergy that's happening as there's these interdependent relationships that are creating this whole phenomenon of life. And when we start to create things in an anthropocentric way, well, we're only going to create architecture that serves human beings. We have this, right. this effect of actually definitely creating systems that are maybe making it possible to um, serve the needs of human beings for a time, or maybe even only specific human beings that are at the top of the hierarchies that these systems serve. Um, But if we extrapolate from here, what's going to happen to systems that are always looking for Endless growth and endless production. There's going to you're going to meet the limits of what the planet can actually support, and that's what we're we're recognizing now in real time. We're hitting those limits. Um, Right. So when we realize that we've created an entropic machine, we have to actually go back and start observing. Well, what is nature doing? to create this syntropic organism. And that's yeah. going to be the crucial difference in the way we, we actually start to reimagine the way we move forward. It's, it's by recognizing hierarchy is not going to get us there. Um, synergy mm-hmm. is the way we need to think about reorganizing ourselves in a way that is self-organizing and symbiotic with all the other living processes of the planet, um, so the yeah. the measure of that system becomes life rather than money or profit or um, yeah, certain specific resources that we've applied a, a certain monetary monetary value to.
0: Well, it's it's great that you say uh, that when you answer the question, you say, well, it started for me with the inner work. I think a lot of people are realizing that that's so crucial. And also you mentioned a wounded society that's extruding people who are wounded. It's creating more wounding. And you mention hierarchy versus uh, syn- centropy or, or synergistic um, organization. It makes me think of the flower of life. You have Buckminster Fuller's um, s- spheres behind <laughs> you. And the flower of life is very similar in that it's the circles overlapping. And so it's like the mesh net instead of the, you know, the one centralized server that's serving everything. And I think there's a, there's a ripple effect that happens when you are the best you you can be and you've done the inner healing work and you're therefore a person who knows how to heal you bring that sense of of healing wherever you go and also this sense of wellness and that sense of joy and that sense of stability and you bring that into whatever group that you're in and so to have redundancy on the resilience it takes the load off the node right. so in the case that you were talking about this Roxy you know you have somebody who's spearheading things and I think that's very important to be the initiator but there always becomes a point in a very large venture especially when you're working with so many people where there's a lot A push that has to come from the leader. And that leads to burnout. So just like you mentioned the planet um, reaching the limits of its resources, I feel like leaders and individuals also reach their limit Mm. of their resources. And then we go looking for funding because we look at the monetary relief of, oh, if we had funding, then we could get some help or some relief or some amplification in the message and some support systemically and otherwise. Forgetting that, I mean, that's important. And it's one of the forms of capital, but also um, at the same time that sort of lattice work of interlocking, uh, people bringing their best selves to the picture, and how that community can support. And that's more of the weaving, um, more I, I, for lack of a better term, people call it more of the the feminine way of uh, of groups is you know this sort of circle and the support the supportiveness of, uh, you know, a group together and carrying each other's burdens and helping uh, to form a community versus, like, a hierarchy, as you said. And not that there's not a place for hierarchy, but we're definitely seeing the dark side, the shadow side of that, as you mentioned in the quote um, that you read about the Gene Keys, which was that, you know, humanity is currently facing its own shadow as well in in very large degree. And so... um, yeah. So, so I want to touch on something that you and I have talked about before in regard to you broke, you you sprained your ankle and you had to recover. And simultaneously uh, the group had to pause. It was like, you're, we're about to do this big push, you know, let's get funding. Let's get ready for the next one. There's all this momentum of two cohorts. We're going to do the third. We have all these events. And then suddenly there's this giant exhale. <sighs> it's a pause of, well, we can't move forward right now. That, that would not be the right thing to do. And um, sort of, sort of the reminder of the hummingbird coming up, and you know, suddenly you weren't, you weren't walking, you know, through the valley. You're, 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 you're a flower. You're planted there on the ground, and you're there by the water, you know, and uh, by the still, quiet <laughs> waters. And uh, tell me, tell me a little bit about that, because I know that you've been doing some work around the calendar, right. and the yeah. solar calendar, and the moon cycles, and sort of this uh, rewilding approach to time and. How we apply our efforts and work with nature instead of against it. I'd love to dive into that yeah. topic.
1: So there was another thing that happened that morning that I injured my ankle. Um, I actually sent a note to Veronica um, that I had been listening to a, a podcast episode of um, uh, from Plum Village. Um, based on the the, the teachings of Thich Nhat Hanh. and mm, so he, they Thich have Thich a podcast Hanh. called "The The Way Out Is In," and so I was listening to this episode that was um, had this key idea that I that just leapt to my attention. And it was um, slowing down, resting, and healing is our gift to the world. I'm like, huh, that's that's really interesting. So I, I just sent that to, to Veronica that morning before I went for the run. And um, um, little did I know that I would actually be living that out. And and it was actually something that I brought up on that Wednesday wow. when we had the, the Design Science Studio gathering in support of um, Roxy, Nico, and Amanda Joy. That slowing down, resting, and healing is our gift to the world. And it really resonated with people. Um, so then going back to those things that i wrote for the the migros fund uh you know i'm i'm having chills just thinking about it um maybe i can it, it wouldn't take much to just read it through um but yeah, it's it, it applies <laughs> so um Here's what I was proposing. You know, we would, if we had this amazing funding, this is what we would do. We would build a team to help onboard a group of highly sensitive, emotional, intuitive, and creative people in a nurturing space for growing a resilient, healthy, supportive, and collaborative community. The design science studio would be nurtured as a community to be a prototype of a social organization based on regenerative principles inspired by the complexity, the diversity, the resilience, and the self-organizing and reproductive capacity of living organisms. We would, maybe I'll add this too, while Project Drawdown focuses on the most effective ways of mitigating the destructive effects of climate change, the Design Science Studio focuses on the creative capacity, energy, and agency of a network of highly motivated individuals to become a self-organizing learning community. We would connect mm. local bioregions into a global network of regenerative practitioners to share tools and resources for a movement that integrates the development of inner architecture with our outer architecture. We would activate our spheres of influence from personal to local to bioregional to ecological to global as connection and conversation and relationships become the language and medium of regenerative cultures our problem is not a lack of solutions our problem is a lack of cooperative community with a shared intention to focus their time energy and resources on being a regenerative organism we focus less on man-made technology to save us and focus more on nature's technology of consciousness perception cognition emotion and action to live in symbiosis and harmony with nature by slowing down We allow nature to regenerate and we allow ourselves to heal. By slowing down, we can remember how we became the empathic social species that thrives on cooperation. By slowing down, we breathe in and breathe out and remember that we are not over nature. We are nature. We remember our nature as those who care for each other. By slowing down, we remember to care, to share, and to be compassionate. By slowing down, we create a culture of peace and love. By slowing down, we learn to navigate metaphysical gravity. So when mm. I read <laughs> yes. this out to the Design <laughs> Science wow. Synergy, Mark and <laughs> Veronica and I just went, well, those are our guiding principles. That's it. That's that's our vision. And,
0: and you wrote this before all that slowdown exactly. happened. It just before yeah wow so it was one
1: thing leading to the next leading to the other like well um i could not have planned this i i was just (laughs) writing this as copy you know in june for something that happened at the end of july that then we actually lived out in in trying to form ideas around well how are we going to do this and then bringing this all back again i was like well this doesn't seem like an accident seems like a lot of synchronicity yeah. and synergy happening yeah.
0: when i'm effusive about your writing this is why because <laughs> you tap in and you also like pull it pull together in such a way and i love that you mentioned highly sensitive mm. because i do a lot of work with artists and i feel like that's where My experiences in starting my podcast about the language of creativity was starting out as a highly sensitive child, and having to learn to navigate a world that I was the '80s when I grew up. It was action movies and skateboards, and you know, like um, horror films. And I mean, it was it was the it was like totally the opposite of what I needed as a highly sensitive child, an artistic child. So I found music as a way to express my sensitivity and my noticing of the various colors and tones of emotion and life and experience and energy and all those kinds of things. And, you know, it's, it's one of the things that I think us artists know about seeing the the layers and things but also like it feels like no one else does i think there's this feeling of like you know and that's why there's so much you know positive rebellion in art it's like <laughs> you know it's it's shouting out from the mountaintops that which you know you 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 often struggle to say because nobody would understand or hear you and the thing is that now we're in this moment where people are starting to soul search all around the world. And I feel like, you know, the, the things that we weren't so concerned about as a general mass population uh, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, we're now starting to become really uh, acutely aware of because of the pain points that are in, which are the things that uh, sensitives like you and I have always felt. Something's wrong here. This doesn't feel right. Why do I have to go clock in at something that isn't good for me to, to just eat and have a house and survive. This this doesn't make sense. And so one of the things that never made sense to me was the the nine to five, oh, it's Friday, you know, oh, it's New Year's. Oh, it's like there's this constant hustle, this constant push, this constant drive to move society forward to keep going to show up to the meeting to, to, you know, like go fly to, to get the the funding and, you know, oh, well, the show must go on. So, you know, car accident here, well, let's, you know, figure out how to do it from the hospital bed. And one of the things that, that I was um, coming into contact with lately was this idea of even the celestial calendar Um, so people, you know, obviously used to study the stars and they created a whole zodiac around that with stories and things like that. Even the, like the Gregorian calendar and the modern zodiac that people follow, it follows like, it follows like it doesn't move with the stars anymore. So like the stories don't line up. So, like, if you look at, like, how the Gregorian calendar works or you look at how the astrological calendar works, it actually doesn't line up with the stars anymore. Someone just decided, oh, well, we just want it to line up with this thing that's convenient, which means that the evolution, if you want to look at it from an evolutionary perspective, is no longer on a spiral. You don't have, like, obviously the moon cycles and the solar cycles for for the for the equinoxes, they don't line up. They They drift. And so that creates sort of like a constant like evolution and a constant motion of where things are lining up. And so when you're dealing with calendars and things like that, you're dealing with these cycles. And it sure is nice to have everything kind of every year line up on the first or on the solstice or whatever, but that's not natural. That's not part of. And so this idea that I came in contact with was it's like we're stuck in a time loop being on these calendars the systems that keep forcing us to it's new year's day. And what are your new New year's revolution? Well, winter is not the time for the new year. Spring is, you know, winter is the time to hibernate and go inward and kind of like conserve your energy. It's not the time to be like, all right, time to hit the gym. <laughs> so it's like, no wonder people can't even keep their new year's resolutions because it's not even in sync with our bodies and nature. Mm-hmm. And so if you go back to societies who observe even a lunar calendar and observe the cycles of the seasons and they observe the you know the summer solstice and the equinoxes and, I, and there's a there's a natural rhythm that evolves out of that that is also very in touch with the human rhythm and the rhythms of the earth and it's a slower pace there are very long cycles to observe when you start to get into that motion and so you realize if I I didn't get it all done today. There's always tomorrow. <laughs> and, you know, this may be like a, a six-week process or a 12-week process or like a six-month-long process. And if I'm in process and that's something that I'm in a, I'm willing to observe my own rhythms and my own exhales. And, and those, are, you know, it's like the Tao, you know, the, the, in, in there's, there's not much to be done when you realize that everything gets done. So I just I just love that idea. So you worked on a calendar that is uh, not a traditional calendar. It kind of looks like a circle that has the wavies around it right,
1: right and yeah, so that that project came out of another trip that Roxy took, which you know people were going, you need to spend some time just focusing on your recovery but um she also had this sense that well I want to I still want to do stuff I'm I'm feeling (laughs) a little uh, cabin fever I think but also probably also a sense of scarcity right because well there's still a funding problem and um so she ne- she yeah. just needed to do a gig. <laughs> so she went to, to Montreal and she connected to a group called the Institute for Aliveness in Montreal. And mm. what came out of that was uh, an invitation to do um, a series of workshops on the winter solstice. And so um, I was one of the people... Um, that was invited to, to offer a workshop. And I'm, I'm like, okay, great. This is awesome that there's, there's (laughs) something happening. we had art basil where some design science studio people got involved. And this was going to be the first kind of like, Hey, we're still here. We're, we're bringing the team back together in a small way. And um, who wants to, you know, raise their hand to, to, to get involved within this first kind of experiment back into, um, doing some presentations online. And so I'm like, okay, what do I do? Um, so because I was working with Veronica on my own inner work on, on meditation and figuring out my own, um, schedule or, or plan for a for meditation practice. I thought, well, what I'm learning from this whole process, this insolment coaching process, is that this society has desensitized me to my own senses of emotions, and I don't even know what else what other senses yeah. do. Humans have the capability of, of being able to perceive. And when I was learning about how um, ancient navigators were able to, and and even now you you can, you know, um, talk to some Australian Aborigines, uh, and and discover. Oh, you can just ask them where where's north and they can just just immediately point to where, <laughs> where it is or where they they have an internal sense of the cardinal directions and yeah. Um so that idea um took me on a journey to to try to discover okay, well what am I going to do? throughout the coming year, um, something about linear time was just not really sitting right with me. Just all these days and boxes and a grid uh, um, that refers to some sort of schematic about time that is based on misconceptions about um, how time related to the birth of christ and and all the other sacred um days that that the the church the fact
0: that octavius <laughs> needed his own money. Right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um thinking that i don't think we have this idea of navigating time down very well and my project for the living systems collaboratory was um, to create a a user interface for navigating metaphysical gravity. And I thought, well, where do Mm. I start with that? Well, I think it would have to start with our notion of time. The idea of a timeline just doesn't actually connect to reality in what we're actually looking at when we're looking out into space is um, we see the points of light that are reaching our eyes, but we're not seeing the spheres of light that are growing outside, out of each of these spheres that we call suns or stars. And and so we're yeah. missing that the whole, you know, emptiness of space, it's full of light that's going in every direction with all of these spheres, um, creating waves across the entire universe. And, and there's so much that we're not perceiving there. Um, So maybe thinking in terms of, of not in timelines, but in time spheres, we actually have to start thinking of time as a sphere. And that's where the calendar comes Mm. from is, okay, well, I've learned how to use Adobe illustrator. So most of my work is going to be flat anyway, but can I at least point to there are spheres traveling around in, in elliptical orbits around a sphere, which are also <laughs> spinning around other yeah. spheres in the galaxy and in the universe. Why don't we make that our conception of time and actually relate how our bodies are relating to all these celestial bodies in very intimate ways that we can actually feel yeah. and see and witness around us, like just watching the tides and realizing that's connected to the gravity of the moon and this relationship with the moon and the earth yeah. and yeah. our spinning <laughs> um, um the the days are manifestations of. Of uh, a sphere spinning around um, a sun, and and the 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 tilt of that that sphere causing or or, or being the the, the cause the for the seasons. seasons. Yeah. Why is that not the way we think of time? Because we've we've just made it associated with some sort of mechanical clock and how it's divided in certain ways. And and those are really mechanical divisions. Yeah. When in we our, get it, back to like what I didn't yeah. realize, you know, okay. I, I based everything on Kairos time, realizing there's, there's a chronological time that's quantitative. And then there's a Kairos time that is about the opportune or the right time to do something. And I really wanted wow. to get into that mode of, um, not feeling like the scarcity of of time um was just driving yeah. me nuts um and me it, too. it was the source of so much fear and confusion around like oh, I'm running out of time, <laughs> um.
0: Yeah, constantly. You're constantly running out of time. You never have time to be fully present in anything (laughs) in this modern world. And it is so antithetical to being an artist. That's what I've noticed. I literally had the same idea for a project I wanted to if I was going to start a mission it was going to be around a circular calendar (laughs) and then you did it and I was like amazing (laughs) Like, I don't don't have to do it now I'm really inspired by the work of Scott Thrift and Scott Thrift is somebody who I'd love to introduce to the design science studio and the Buckminster Fuller Space Camp someday maybe he'll join he is a terrific artist and the first thing he ever designed he was a uh, successful filmmaker and editor in New York and he realized that his time would just disappear and so he decided to invent an annual clock <laughs> and the annual clock goes around one time per year and a hand moves so slowly you can't see it moving but then when you come back you notice oh it's on a different color well the colors are the seasons and the colors are a gradient mm-hmm. there are no lines separating. And so on, none of his clocks have lines. He has a moon clock. Now he's got a day clock. That's 24 hour movement. And, um, the thing that you realize is that it is a gradient. And that's the thing that I was you know, thinking about in my projects is like, we have this calendar that's in boxes and it has all these lines, but it doesn't, it doesn't tell you what is the optimal time of a day to, you know, get up and move versus what is the optimal time of the day to rest. What is the optimal time when my creative cycles naturally kick in? What are the events that precede that? What are the triggers that kind of warm me up and cool me down from that? And and so the same thing with, with you as an artist. I felt so constricted and limited by trying to shoehorn my life as an artist into my life as everything else I have to do to make to make the world go round. And in terms of like being a father and having work and projects and all these other things, And, you know, often, as you know, being a designer, I feel like many, many people who are artistic end up in a field like design, where you are now serving, you're using your artistic ability to serve a commercial purpose and go into a corporate structure. And it's like fitting a round peg into a square hole. It just doesn't fit. (laughs) And it's so crazy making. And I feel like you know, one of the things that, that, that I've been benefiting from, uh, you know, not to like scare anyone off by me mentioning the zodiac or astrology earlier, but I have found that in my personal studies of um, doing a more meditative study of the lunar cycles, um, it can mean whatever you want, but the fact that you're observing that slower rhythm and that the month is not just this artificial thing where my rents do like, and there's all this pressure and suddenly you got to, oh, I got to, I got to stress out and make this happen. It's like, no, you're actually on this rhythm where it's like, you're noticing this gradient. You're being conscious of this slower movement of time. And you notice when the moon is full, you notice when the moon is in a quarter phase, you notice when it's uh, when it's a new moon. And there's sort of this like, more gentle rhythm to it. And I think that's kind of what you're getting at with this idea of moving with nature and being at a tempo that works for 100% of life. Um, I feel like that is an essential part of art. It's essential part of community building because if your leaders are burning out and, you know, going all the time, it, it's going to lend itself to more reactionary decisions and more rigid, you know, and more... There's just not that opportunity for th- for things to emerge, for people to uh, come online and support and for people to be included. And there's just a certain pace that I think... Leaves people behind. And that's the world that we've inherited, that world that's been created by design or by unintentional design. Or, you know, maybe it's, but yeah, I mean, we've got this 24 hour clock system that the day starts over at midnight when everybody's sleeping. And it's like just so that it's the next day when you wake up, but it doesn't make any sense. Like it's not, (laughs) it's not helpful. (laughs) Um, and you know like the thing that got me was um and I was going to bring this into the project if if I started the project was my wife showed me this video that uh, I think Vox did that was about rhythm a different way to view rhythm for music and instead of doing rhythm like quarter notes on a page or eighth notes or dotted eighth note and half note or whatever it was circles so each beat was the top of the circle and wherever you put the subdivision in the circle it would come around that that, 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 or you could even swing it, that, 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 right? And so suddenly there was this whole new way to view um, the, the rhythm of music. And I was like, that makes so much more sense to me. And then you take the idea of the circle and you just go, well, if you want to chart that out on a straight line, a circle is just a sine wave. You take the circle, you know, the circular motion, and then it's going up and then down and then up and down. That's literally the one-dimensional plot of, Uh, a two-dimensional circle. And I was suddenly like, wow, this is so much more intuitive and so much more real and organic and helpful. And it's like, could we figure out how to move more in harmony with the rhythms of ourselves, the rhythms of each other? And ultimately to allow, you know, that flower that only blooms a certain time of the year to not get cut down because it's not blooming right now. And we want it to bloom. And so we're going to plant a different flower. It's like, no, that flower isn't. It's in its, it's, it's, it's process. And it's like, you know, the seed in the ground is, is still doing something, even if it seems to be doing nothing. It's doing something that time when the DSS like had to go into a deep inner phase of, of stillness, that stillness. Is not doing nothing. <laughs> it's quite the opposite, and so um, I, I, I'm just so excited that you go check out his calendar. Um, the blog is what was the blog for that called um, what So are, I've called it the
1: Apocrypha because it's about okay. everything that's outside of the canon of of the orthodoxy, um, whether it's. The religious orthodoxy, or the scientific orthodoxy, or the the economic orthodoxy. There's.
0: I think we pretty much just went to all those places just a minute ago. Pardon me. <laughs> Never mind. I was just saying. I was just saying we probably went outside of all those orthodoxies just a minute
1: ago. <laughs> probably yes. So the apocrypha, yeah. yes, yes. But it's actually also to mean. Um, when you're creating a codex that has a limited number of pages, because um, you're, this is a new technology. Um, so it used to be the papyrus scroll. And so, for example, Luke and Acts were actually the same book, but they had to split it into two scrolls. So, um, Oh, really? Apparently, according wow. to, I think it was John Dominic Cross on, um, on um, Homebrew Christianity, I think it was, but... Uh,
0: that's, that's huge. That's huge because those are two books that like, you have one that's in the gospels, right, right. the four books of the gospels. And then you have this other thing that's kind of like so after yeah. the gospels and they they, we think of them as completely separate books. In exactly. Christianity, but if you look at them,
1: they're both addressed to Theophilus. And so there's, there's the common theme of like, Luke is telling the story. And um, so anyway, um, that to say, you know, when you're, you have as an empire, you're trying to figure out, well, Okay, we've got this new technology called a codex, and and we can, you know, put leaves, pages within this book. But there's only a certain number that we can fit in here. So, how? What are the the books that we can fit? Um, so when we we come across the the printing press, and then go, okay, well, we're going to create a Bible. This is going to be the book. <laughs> um, Mm -hmm. that's at the point where they were going, okay, well, uh, the Roman Catholic church thinks that there's all these books that are like questionable to, to our theologies and like, doesn't mention God, doesn't mention the Holy spirit or anything like that. Why why are we including these books? Um, maybe we'll add them to the Apocrypha. (laughs) And, and those can be like um the optional and and there's others that just didn't even make the cut. Like, no, we're those are definitely heretical. Anyone who's reading those um should be burned at, with the books themselves. <laughs> and um
0: Yeah, the book says candle. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Um uh,
0: sad to, sad to think back to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that to me, it seems very interesting to me that like a council of men come together to start to decide what's in and what's out. And mm. for me, that just means like, well, all of my experience as a human being is just being left out of um, the canon of what what people think is important. Well, I think it's important. (laughs) So I'm just going to call it the (laughs) Apocrypha just to say like, I'm not adding to your Canon. That would be, you know, heretical, (laughs) but I can add as much as I want to the Apocrypha and no one's going to blink an eye. So I'm just going to call what I'm doing just like way out of the realm of what people are looking for as, you know, the expected and just creating on the fly in real time out of my human experience of being a medium of life. And so if nature feels like whatever, well, this is the way I'm thinking about time. Time is like coral. It, it grows spherically structure. The, the lives (sighs) Of the coral that are creating, you know, the the actual lived experience of being a coral are are the little beings that are creating <laughs> the structures that that grow out of that in the same way that trees are doing the same Incredible. thing. Incredible. There's a, a kind of right. Wow. Um, outer edge that is the life of the tree, but the the inner core is really just like the physical structure that's being left behind by the life. That then becomes the substrate for the living cells yeah. of of the and it causes so
0: many other members <laughs> of the ecosystem to flourish <laughs> right in leaving it. its artifact of its just being exactly and, and so humans do this same sort yeah. of
1: thing but we're we're able to to create tools and architecture and and Um, so a lot of what we're creating is inorganic. It doesn't have the ability to, to decompose very easily and become part of the living cycle. Um, so is there a way that we can do that differently? Um, so that brings us back to the calendar. You know, you were talking about senses and, and that was my project for, or the, the workshop that I was offering with the Institute for Aliveness and the design science studio was, can we grow senses for co-creation? If we're going to be a mm-hmm. synergy, we actually need to be able to sense what's going on and to be able to communicate, you know, what, what do we actually need to pay attention to? And, and so it's getting to, into those rhythms of life that are connected to our bodies, being connected to all these, the the, the large celestial body that we're already on, and all of the other bodies that we're integrating with yeah. on this planet, but also the the other celestial bodies that we are intimately connected with, the sun, the moon, and all the other planets do have some sort of effect on what we're what's happening here. And if we trace everything back through time like everything has a place and we're we're now using the James Webb telescope to to look back at the first billion years of of the existence of the universe cuz now our perception has been opened up that much wider because we have that that level of of precision in our in our ability to to use technology to see so what if we did that mm. as nature, as living beings who have other desensitized senses, how do we get to know those senses again? And so I mm. I came back mm. to the idea of, well, we we grow artifacts in the past. And that's kind of what the masculine looks at. It's the, the body and the mind are all pointed towards like, how do we perceive the past? And the the body Mm. stores everything in physical matter. And the mind is processing events that have already happened and then interpreting them into a story. But what we often ignore is the sense of presence of just being alive and being Mm. able to experience the qualia of being alive, the qualities of life. And also um, just the ability to anticipate what's happening and realize that future is happening all around us and becoming present and then getting solidified into some sort of um, past artifact, whether it's a thing or it's a thought. Um, or a memory, and so if we yeah. think of you know, the metaphor of a tree, um, the roots and the ground are kind of the 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 past. That's the 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 layer of mm. where everything is getting stored or um, deriving our our sense of identity is is. Coming out of the the nutrients of that soil, but the life of the tree is reaching out into the the future, the air around us, and um, out of that interaction with the future is coming fruit, the the ability to to reproduce and create, and it becomes mm, this toroidal yeah. field. Um, so that yes. becomes a richer way of thinking about time rather than timeline where we just go okay here's profit on one side and here's time on the other and here's the hockey stick that proves this business is worth investing in well that's a terrible way of thinking about time because it's so two-dimensional we live in a four-dimensional yeah. at least experience of being alive yeah. and the 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 graph has it, it just distorts our idea of, of time and what to pay attention to.
0: That would also explain why history repeats itself. <laughs> because every time the fruit falls from the tree and starts a new tree, there's a whole growth cycle for that. So if we could acknowledge right. that there is a growth cycle, there is an ebb and flow and a yin and yang and a day and night and to all those things, we can be more conscientious anticipatory, anticipatory design right. scientists by knowing that. Instead of going, oh, we're this straight line from Egypt to now or from Gobekli Tepe to now or from, you know, how far we actually could go back. Um, it's it's not a straight no, line. No, <laughs> It's actually not geographically either because there are different groves. And there are the, you know, there's the seeds that travel in mm-hmm. the wind and all these other geometries that that we're ignoring. It strikes me to say before we wrap up in response to what you said about um I I think the Apocrypha, I think that's really important in the role of the artist to be able to go into those spaces that are a bit unknown, mm. a bit different, a bit out of the mainstream in a way, and sort of push things forward in society and and to bring new ideas forth. And I think to me, that's what artists always have done. They're always the forerunners. They have the, you know, they have the senses and the awareness. They can feel it coming. They can feel, you know, and and so to underscore the importance of a group like the Design Science Studio and the work that the Design Science Synarchy is helping to support in the mission of the Design Science Studio, I would uh, really um, love to highlight that one of the things that would be helpful is for venture capital to see the arts as a very essential part of the holistic picture. It's not something that produces a product like a carbon removal sink thing. What it does is it seeds the ideas and the senses and the sense awareness for the greater population so that they can appreciate that piece of art or be challenged or excited by it and be seated within them so that they also gain the awareness to maybe and get inspired to invent their own mm-hmm. thing that maybe is the more quantitative moving of the needle forward, as we like to say, um, you know, moving the needle or changing, yeah. creating a change agent. But art in itself, if you look at music and the sixties, you know, huge agent of change. Um, But, you know, art is not always monetizable, you know, in the ways that we'd like to think of it. So to understand that in putting investment into artists and their work, it is, you know, sometimes a nonlinear, you have to give them a sandbox and it's it's going to be, you don't know what's going to come out of that experiment or that, you know, that R&D process, but whatever does come out, you know, maybe it's not something you expected, but maybe it's really, really valuable. And so I just wanted to highlight that before we close and say... Um, I will have another couple of sessions, I think, about the design science synarchy because I'd love to interview Mark Smith and uh, I'd love to uh, do a couple more pieces about this because I feel like it's so important. It's an incubator, the design science studio. It's so important to this other aspect of what's happening in this broader world. And, uh, you know, I thank you for your um, presence and your wisdom that you bring to um, this, this whole group in general. Thank you for introducing me to a group that makes me feel like I have resonance and co-resonance and, and purpose and, and sharing, I guess it gives me inspiration. It helps me feel amazing about the future, knowing that there are other luminaries who are beaming, as Mark would say, uh, a vision for a future that includes all of us. And that is not just inclusive, but also practical. And so, um, Stephen, would you give me a few of your website links um, so people can find out more about you? I know there's about 20 (laughs) different publications that you're writing at the same time. So just spout them off real quick. Where can people look you up and what should they be aware of? Sure.
1: At the moment, um, I'm focusing on the apocrypha.substack.com or um, I'm gathering uh, the communities together under trimtab.substack.com. Um, but people can also find me at stephenbau.com or bauhaus.ca, um builders.co, uh, which is to do with the builders collective. So um dot co. Uh and I, I think that's oh um qualis.life. um will get you to qualest.substack dot com is something that I uh, just started last week um, just to focus on the difference between qualia and quanta. And an, another thing that came up um, earlier at, at the beginning of our conversation was just about book recommendations. So I just wanted to bring that forward was just Jenny yes. O'Dell.
0: Yes, please.
1: Um, as an artist is also a writer and she's written How to Do Nothing, <laughs> which is amazing. Um, but her latest book is called Saving Time. And what I find just mm. a, an amazing synchronicity is that I started this year thinking about Kairos time. And anybody who's reading Jenny O'Dell's book will realize that her whole um, introduction to her, her book, Saving Time, is about the difference between Kronos time and Kairos time. And it's... Uh, I. Mm. I I could not have planned anything better.
0: Yes. Thank you for sharing that. We could go on for hours and I'm sure I will have you back and you will have me back and we'll do podcasts and all those kind of things. please look Stephen up. Uh, His writing is truly inspired. And uh, I thank you for all you do as an evangelist for the ideas of Buckminster Fuller and as a community um, synthesizer and somebody who brings ideas and people together. I'm uh, amazed by the, the number of times that you meet one on one with people to just share ideas and help them pollinate. So um, thank you for everything you do. Look up the Design Science Studio at designscience.studio. And uh, we'll hear more about the Design Science Synarchy Project. This is the Spaceship Earth Mission Log. Thank you for joining us. We're on Substack and on iTunes. And my podcast is thelanguageofcreativity.com. Uh, and uh, I'm Stephen Levitt. Thank you for being here with us today. Thanks for being here, Stephen.
1: I'm so glad to be here.